the modern day woman grew up watching and hearing stories of meeting her partner and finding her happily ever after. Is this message realistic? Does it alter our ability to find happiness within our own marriages? Today, we get honest about an age-old saying and how it sets us up for failure following the words, I do. You're listening to Honest Women, the podcast for every woman who's trying to juggle the relationships, roles, and responsibilities that come with modern womanhood and finding it all just a little harder than she thought it would be. We're your hosts, Andrea Berkeley and Jessica Hutchison, your new besties who just happen to be therapists. And while we believe that life is hard and there's no tip or trick that will solve that, it does get just a little bit easier when we can be real with each other and talk about it honestly. You're listening to Honest Women. Are you ready for this? No. Am I? Should I be? You better be. <laughs> okay. Here we go. We're going to scare everybody on the on the other side. Like, what are we talking about today? Why is everybody so scared? Yeah. What are we talking about today, Jess? Disclaimer to the listener. This will be the first of many marriage-related episodes that Andrea and I are going to be talking about. Yeah. Like 500,000. We have this unique perspective because we both are married and Mm -hmm. we both happen to be EFT trained couples therapists. So we very much have a viewpoint inside and outside of the office. Very true. I am sweating. I know. I feel like I'm really (laughs) amping it up here with it. Like I'm going to like drop a bomb and it's really not, which is funny. But what do you think? Should we get kind of vulnerable and show up? Because it's easy to show up as the couples therapist, but should we get a little vulnerable and show up as wives in this episode? Oh, girl. Yes, we should. Coming at you. And they lived happily ever after. That's it. That is the end of the story that we all grew up watching, leaving us to imagine what that happily ever after looks like. So let's get started with some honest conversation about what does your happily ever after look like? So you mean when I was younger and headed into marriage and envisioned married life? What did we think it was going to be? I think my happily ever after this narrative or this image that came into my head based on all of the shows, the movies that I watched was, you know, riding off into the sunset where you lived happily from this point on. And it was in my brain, this escape from all the pain, all the sorrow and all the sadness that to date life had thrown my way. So as soon as I get married, that goes away and we live happily ever after. The good life starts from here on out. Like we did it. We made it. That's the end of the story, right? That is what it felt like. And I know for me, if I really had to try to go back in time, there wasn't so much of a picture of like what it would look like as what it would feel like. That like it would just be easy breezy. That the hard work was choosing the right person and then we would just like feel good all the time. So this idea that as soon as I get married, life gets easy. Yeah, that was the idea. What a joke, right? (laughs) You know, I come from a family. My parents are divorced. They had a very, very rough divorce. 
kind of brutal. Lasted a long, long time. Divorce was kind of a thing that happened at one point in time, which is true. And you have to live as co-parents forever. And that looks really different in different houses and in different families. And so in our family, it did not, it was not good. It was not smooth. There was, it was no bueno. So I think for me as a young girl trying to understand, I mean, I think the way I understood it, the divorce was like, they, you know, you picked the wrong person. And so for me, it was like chaos in my home growing up. Getting married was almost like a do-over. Like I wanted something really, really different. So I just had to go find the right guy. Clearly I was the right girl. Duh. Bringing everything to the table. So I'm a catch. Just <laughs> find the right guy. And then we would just be good because it was, it felt obvious what happiness would be. But I don't, I don't know that I could have put any frame around it. It was just like being happy, feeling good. Well, and as you're talking about it, I think about, because we both come from divorced families, did not see what a nuclear family looked like. My parents were divorced by the time I was three. I believe separated around two. I have maybe one memory of my mom and dad being married and together. And it's a very, very small, just moment in time. And I do wonder if you and I both having that perspective of divorce puts a heavier emphasis on this idea of happily ever after. How can I make sure that does not happen to me? Totally. It involves this real simplification of like, you know what you're not going towards. You say, I feel like if you were to look, I'm kind of making a gesture towards one side. Like it's not that. And then you turn to the other side and go, it's so Somewhere over here. I know what I'm not headed towards, but I don't at all know what I'm headed towards. And because it's so amorphous, I think, I think sometimes we, maybe we would have seen different things. Maybe we would have seen the pluses and minuses and had a little bit more, maybe less reactivity to things that are just kind of normal ups and downs, right? Because that's not something I saw. My mother did get remarried, but it's still, it's just a little different. It's still post-divorce. So it is still different from that concept of first-time marriage, you build a family or you choose not to, but it's the one, your first and only spouse. And I think it did create a narrative, for me at least, as long as you pick the right person, life will be easy, life will be good, it won't look hard or it won't be hard because you lived happily ever after. And and because my coping mechanism, I think, and yours for life established at an early point was, I just have to perform well. So in some ways, there was like marriage and there were winners and losers and I was going to be a winner because that was my job is to win at everything. Oh, divorce would be an ultimate failure. Going into marriage, that's how I viewed it. Divorce would be an ultimate failure on my part. I would be the failure. I did something wrong or I was too much. I was not good enough. So in order to live happily ever after, you got to get it right. And any struggle in marriage might be pointing to the fact that I'm not good enough or I'm not getting it right, which is also like my kryptonite, which means that it's really incredibly hard to deal with the ups and downs of being partnered with another human for a really long period of time. Like I met my husband when I was 18. You were young. Yeah. We got married at 23. Got married young. I wouldn't undo that. You don't know what you don't know. So I think generally as a young girl, it was just, you're going to grow up. You're going to like find the right guy, right? And there's all the stars in your eyes and the dreamy, dreamy about that. And then he's going to choose you because you're great and you do things right. You're good enough. 
good enough, worthy of love. Okay, we're getting real deep here. And then you're just going to set up your happy household. And then one day you'll have babies and then everyone will be happy. And then one day, like you'll die in each other's arms. I I don't know. There was like no more details than that. There was no details. There's no in between from these fairy tale standpoints that we were shown is they ride off into the sunset. Now I laugh. I'm like, joke's on us. What happens after they ride off into the sunset? I want to see that because I guarantee you she's like, can you go a little faster? Why is the horse so slow? You were supposed to turn left back there. No, left, left. You're going the wrong way. Do you have any idea where you're going? Did you pack snacks? Because I'm hungry. 100%. I want to drop a really good quote here by one of my favorite couples therapists. One of my favorite quotes that she has said is divorce happens not because we are unhappy, but because we believe we should be happier. As we're talking about how the perception of happily ever after has altered or impacted views at certain times, I have to put Mm -hmm. that statement in there. I think that the thing that this happily ever after idea did for a long time in my marriage or in our marriage was it can make you really afraid. For me, that's very activating. Tell me more. Wait, explain it more. We happen to be in a marriage where we don't fight a lot. Times I'll see couples come in or someone will come in and say, well, my husband and I, we never fight. That's not really what we're aiming for. I just have to put that disclaimer out there. We're not a super high conflict couple. We talk a lot. We like to do things together. So all of those things are good. And yet there have been whole seasons of time where we just don't, just not connected. Constant fight against that at the stage of life that we're in right now. But definitely from the time we started having small kids, I was home with one, then two, then three little kids. You know, he was at work or we both had jobs and, you know, he was traveling or I was doing this or that. What happens is that time when I started to feel disconnected, I could feel, panicked. Panicked. This isn't the right person or I made the wrong choice. Yeah. Or something's wrong with me. I'm defective or all all of of the above. All of it. Like you can imagine like the screaming face emoji, like, ah, you know, that's just what I felt on the inside. It brings up the tenor of everything. It makes it really hard to communicate about that in a way that is useful. It's just a lot of unrest on the inside. Does any of that make any sense? It very much makes sense. When you speak of fear, that lands with me for sure, because if you have this perception of living happily ever after, after you stand at the altar and say, I do, you're screwed because every single disagreement moment, you feel like you're not good enough or you're getting something wrong, or you look at the person and you're like, what was I thinking, right? Because we do. Everybody does that sometimes. Every single person does. Funny when you're talking about, we don't really fight, you know, we disagree, but we don't really fight. I'm like, we are two very strong personality people. Yeah. When we stand in our conviction, we both stand in our conviction. Yeah. We've learned throughout the years how to make that productive. In right. our early years, it was not as productive, but it was also easier to just be like, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going by when you have kids, it challenges it, that whole perspective. But for me, that whole idea of happily ever after made it really hard to have not good moments, moments where you feel disappointed, moments where you feel sad or scared or angry. It was hard because I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be living happily ever after. What's this stuff? I don't like this. This doesn't feel like it's supposed to feel or like people told me in the movies it was supposed to look like. For me, it made me really look at things that are normal 
parts of marriage and life in coexisting with another human being as something that was wrong. It's like a primal fear that kicks in then for me. It's not been a fear of like, oh my gosh, this means we're going to get divorced. But a fear like, I feel really lonely right now in my marriage and I'm not supposed to feel this way. And I'm not sure exactly how to get out of it. I mean, we all have our ways to try. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) We will speak more on the ways that we try to connect with one another in a future episode on marriage. Oh, yes, we will. Not always that effective. There's a sense of that happily ever after created this notion around romantic love. This is going to sound so lame and so trite. It was this dream that this person would always have stars in their eyes for me and that somehow he would, like my husband would just be thinking of me every day and that he would show up and he'd some romantic gesture. I brought home flowers just because I was thinking of you. I planned this thing just because I was thinking of you. I know the way that you love to have your coffee and I know how to make coffee. This was a big disappointment in my marriage. My husband doesn't drink coffee. I knew this, but I started to feel some sorrow about this on our honeymoon. I think that he should be drinking coffee with me and it is not fair. And there's something I very, again, romanticized. I have been accused, but I had this vision of us like sitting together on the honeymoon and I'm drinking my coffee and he's supposed to be drinking his coffee and we're sitting across from each other. And I just look over and I'm like, you're not playing your part. That's not your role. That is not, I wrote this script. You right. will follow like, it. It's the thing that's going to be the thing we do. We sit outside and we drink our coffee. Oh no, we don't do this. There's there's all these little expectations. But I think that there was a sense of in happily ever after, like you said, I'm chosen and I'm cherished. Almost put on a pedestal. Yeah. And I wouldn't have said that out loud, but I think it's a disappointment that, you know, you expect those like sparkly moments. Truth. And to be fair, as we've talked about before, I mean, if my husband had those same expectations, he too would be disappointed, even though I think he's the best. Just our day-to-day lives, I don't communicate that. I'm not leaving him little love notes. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I want to be that person, but I will just say it doesn't happen naturally. So this kind of enduring romance, you know, and then I don't know if we've talked about this, but every once in a while, you'll find that there's like, there's one husband. Everyone knows one husband. Like they're the big oh, romantic gosh, gesture person. Oh yeah, because, oh, we do. I, I know. Everybody. And he ruins it for everybody. Because then you're like, well, so-and-so hired a choir to surprise their wife on their anniversary. He's like, uh, forgot it was the anniversary. <laughs> <You know. laughs> that is not happily ever after, sir. Right, right. I think those things are a little bit unrealistic or a lot unrealistic. And they're definitely unspoken. And they don't take into account any of our individual personalities. Not everyone shows up in marriage like that. That whole idea of happily ever after is from your own perspective. It does not assume somebody else's wants or needs or their idea of what happily ever after actually looks like. It makes it about you. Yeah. And again, that comes back to that feeling. So I thought I would feel every day cherished and valued and, you know, we want to be seen. I think that's a really reasonable thing in terms of attachment, seen and valued and attended to. And that's a little amorphous and we'll have to do another episode on that. But you know what, Jess, in my day-to-day life, I don't feel amazing all the time. Part of getting married was a little bit of like, I thought you would make me feel amazingness. You're supposed to love me and cherish me, make me feel like I'm great, take away all my insecurities, tell me I'm the best human being. Yes. You know, meet every single one of my unmet needs. What's going on here? Right. Why are you doing that? Wait a second. I am generally distressed today. What have you not done? So then knowing, <laughs> okay, so knowing this. It's true. Mm-hmm. 
all of these things. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually thought about this, but what does happily ever after look like? So if you're explaining it to your kids, what does happily ever after oh my mean? Gosh. What does that actually look like? Yeah. You would not believe the number of conversations we have about this in my household. It's a lot. So many conversations. And you know what? They are not romantic. My husband comes up and gives me a kiss. Like my kids think it's like the funniest thing ever. And I'm like, maybe we don't like show that. Maybe we need to show that more. Cause they're like, oh my gosh, look at that. Do it again. Do it again. That was so funny. Oh, that's so funny. My kids are like, ew, gross. Stop. But the little one, like he said this morning when we were talking, we were actually talking about marriage because I told him we were going to record this. My husband was there, my little one. And he goes, we said something about marriage. And he goes, you need to love each other. <laughs> You're like, so break that down for me, little five-year-old. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What does loving one another mean? What does it look like? Yes. Well, let me tell you why this is. Can I tell you first why this is a complicated question for me to what answer? What if I said no? <laughs> no, okay. you may not tell me that. I'd be like, no. I'd be like, you be? No. What kind, of, what kind of show is this? No, <laughs> this is this is important. I'm getting better at this through much, much therapy. You would be shocked to know that I have gone to therapy and do currently go to therapy, Jess. I know this is a shock. That's what makes you a good therapist. That's what makes you a good therapist, my friend. 100%. You should ask your therapist. If they you go. really should. Because if they say, also, this is a totally off the, but if they say they've done their work, leave the office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, dude, are you dead? Then you're not done doing your work. Till you're dead. Right. You're not dead. Till you're dead. We should be growing and changing and need guidance and support in that at various times of our lives. Some of the us moment right. you think your work is done is the moment you are no longer productive or you no longer change. That's it. Right. It's a stopping point in life. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So I have noticed in the last six months or so so of doing therapy, in the last six months or so of doing therapy that I have a part, I'm doing internal family systems therapy. So let's just get into the language. I have a part of me that is terrified And that means like aggressively protecting against the idea that I would be settling in some way. Ooh, Mm -hmm. settling. It's such an ugly word. Ooh, it's such an icky word. It's so icky. And the truth is, I'm not. But it's some of these changes that have developed over time in what I would say love is or happily ever after is that I still have a young part of me that's like, don't stand for that. I still have a young part of me that is fighting less now. Thank God for therapy, much less now. Because I was fighting for something that didn't exist and against the person that I love and myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I start to feel anxious when we say, as we're entering into this part, which is a totally reasonable question. What does it mean now? Maybe my disclaimer just needs to be to myself and to anybody else. We are not talking about settling. There is nothing about what I will describe next or what Jess will describe or what we'll find our way to that is less than what we thought we deserved as children. So I think I just need to say to the women that are listening and also to my own self to calm myself here, that what we are about to define 
how I would describe happily ever after, how you, whatever it is that we're about to, to land on, none of what we're about to talk about is settling. It's different than what my young self thought she needed. Unbelievably different. So different. And it's not less than. It's so not less than what I thought I was going to get for, with happily ever after. Yeah, I think with happily ever after, I would say now how I would look at it or how I would define it is your definition is only 50% of the marriage. There's somebody else that shows up in that marriage with their own 50% of what marriage looks like and how marriage has been modeled for them and what they think is. And when I came into my younger self who came into marriage very much focused on me or focused on what I thought happily ever after looked like, which truly set me up for failure and my husband up for failure. Because when you didn't meet that need or there was a situation that did not look like I thought it should, that was like a period at the end of a sentence when there should not have been a period at the end of the sentence. Right, right. Happily ever after looks like engagement to me. Oh, bliss. Yes, you're so excited. Yeah. And yeah. planning. No. Oh, you know what? No, different kind of engagement. Happily ever after looks like there's no period at the end of that sentence. It's if it didn't go quite right, my partner is interested in figuring it out with me or at least open to me saying, okay, that didn't go quite right for me. That's what I'm looking for these days. And that's what I would say is happily ever after to me is a partner who is interested in getting it right with you and figuring that messy thing out along the way and you being similarly interested in getting it right with them. And it's just like an openness. It's a connection. It's turning towards one another. That's happily ever after for me. Happily ever after. I think there's a commitment mm -hmm. to happily ever after mm -hmm. is commitment, knowing that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. And we're committed to working it out with one another if mm -hmm. we're able to. Mm -hmm. Happily ever after, in parentheses, 50% of the time, if you're lucky. <laughs> right, right. That yes. would be my statement. Well, literally, I remember in a season of our marriage that was just really tough, Googling as one will things like how do you stay married for your whole life or whatever. And it was, <laughs> I came across this article and the premise of the article was interviewer interviews people who are super old, like really, really old. And they talk about being married for a really long time. And here are their secrets to happy marriage. And the one that stuck with me in that season was, you know how you stay married for 50 years, for 75 years, whatever? Neither one of you leaves. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. That gave me goosebumps. I have goosebumps. Yeah, I know. Because really, that's it. On a macro level, that's it. Because you are going to go through hell. Not like your marriage is going to be horrible. It might be. I don't know. But you're going to go through hell at times. And for us, this is the very unromantic conversation that we've had recently. People would die laughing at how, <laughs> how these conversations go. But we were on vacation one time, having the best time, the best, best, best time. And we're talking about marriage. And it basically came down to what we would tell our kids is, 
you're going to go through terrible times Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of what life throws at you and because of what you each throw at each other. This is going to be true. And so your question is not, who do I want to have fun with? There's plenty of people for that. Your question is, who can I cling to through those tough seasons and say, you know what? Even if I don't feel like this right now, you are worth it to me. Like who I know you to be and who you know me to be, that is worth it to one another to like hold on and get through and get to the point of whatever it is that we're going through that we can live another season together. Another season. Mm -hmm. I had a woman once I asked her what the secret of marriage was. In my memory, we were on a plane for our honeymoon, but that might not be accurate. But either way, we were on a we were on a plane somewhere. <laughs> and her response was amazing. Her and her husband, they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary or, you know, one of those big numbers. And thinking they would say something cliched, like don't go to bed mad, which <laughs> a topic for another episode on why yeah. you actually should sometimes. Totally but disagree with that idea. Totally yeah. disagree. But I thought that's, you know, something she said, and she said, Try not to fall out of love at the same time. And I looked at her and she goes, because there'll always be somebody fighting for that marriage. And I loved that she normalized the falling in and out of love because happily ever after gives you an idea or, or happily ever after often looks like love, 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 love. Right. And the reality of it is you do fall in and out of love in marriage. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one more piece of happily ever after that I'm really trying to hold tight to right now. Every marriage has, it's every partnership that's worth preserving, has some strengths and has some weaknesses. It's really easy to focus on the weaknesses. The thing I don't have. I don't have a husband who is like prancing through the street, you know, thinking lovey-dovey thoughts of me and bringing me home little gifts and saying, I love you so much to the moon and back, right? I do have a husband who believes in me, who has never for one minute doubted me, who has never discouraged me. He's always in my corner. And that's the thing that I might've in one season of life, really ignored all of that. I might've minimized that. Yeah, well, but he doesn't. And I'm not saying, again, this isn't about settling. I think we continue to advocate for the things that we want and need from one another, but it is about taking a moment to go, what is going right here? What does this person bring to the table that I probably undervalue because it's just, it's there. And I think that we can find happily ever after or find more happiness where we are in looking for those things. And happily ever after for me would be that my partner also looks for those things in me and has a sense of my wife fill in the blank. Some way that I really do get it right because I get it wrong a million ways. I fall short a million ways. But to know that there's another person who sees me in some sort of positive light and and can grab onto that and can look for that, that is happy to me. It sounds pretty perfect, not going to lie. Aw, look at us. Did we do it? Well, no, no, (laughs) 
<laughs> Every part of my being wants to challenge you right now, but I'm not going to because what? that's for another Do episode. No, challenge no. me. It's fine. No, I think that. I think every part of my head is going, but what if it's the woman listening who's like, but my husband doesn't see me in a positive light. And my husband hasn't always been in my corner. You know, I felt alone sometimes. So I think that's where I challenge it a little bit because I think that doesn't mean that that person hasn't been in your corner. Right. What happens when they step outside of it? Right. I think this is such a good point. So, and this is why taking a more personal bent on a topic is tricky. It's so tricky. That's not the only strength, honey, if you're listening, I know you are. That's a strength in my marriage. That is something that I've come to think about and appreciate over the last six months. And no, not everybody has that. And other people have things that are strengths in their marriage that I don't. And you know what? Then there's just marriages where like, Maybe we don't have strengths. I mean, and then there's marriages where there's abuse, there's neglect, there is an unwillingness to work on the marriage. There's a lot of marriages where, yeah, you're not living your happily ever after. And maybe you can't. Uh, So I I guess I will say I'm not anti-divorce. There are plenty of marriages that are really in trouble. And if partners aren't willing to work on them, man, Yikes, you know, but what I can say is I am my happily ever after. I think I'm living it. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it doesn't look the way that I thought it would when I was 10 or 18 or even 30. But sometimes your happily ever after isn't a perfectly colored picture. Mm -mm. It's scribbling out of the lines. Mm Mm-hmm. It's using the wrong color. Mm-hmm. It's ripping the page, right? but not throwing the entire page out. Exactly. It doesn't mean I don't want things or that you don't want things. It doesn't mean our partners don't want things, right? It doesn't mean we're not frustrated or burnt out or struggling in the way that everybody else struggles too. We do. And that's all part of it. That's all part of it. If you are a woman who has found your happily ever after. Kudos, girl. But Mm -hmm. to the women who are listening, who are still trying to find or redefine what happily ever after means to you, we see you, we are you. Mm -hmm. We know what it's like to redefine that every season of your life. You've just finished an episode of the Honest Women Podcast. We are so honored that you would spend this time with us. We have so much more where this came from and don't want you to miss a minute. So please, right now, take a second to follow the show. While you're there, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's the best way to help other women find our show so they can join the conversation. And if you have a friend who could use a little more honesty in her life, and who couldn't, send this episode directly to her. Actually, send this episode to anyone you want to. Everyone's welcome here. We'll be back next Wednesday speaking some truth and feeling some feels. Until then, hang in there, ladies. This has been Honest Women.